Amen. Well, January 25th of 2009 was a very special day, uh, to me anyways. On January 25th, 2009, I publicly declared my faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ, through the waters of baptism. I fondly remember that day as my grandfather, who was also my pastor, baptized me at our home church. Much of my family was there to celebrate the occasion. I give God thanks over and over again that I come from a family that values uh, such decisions. I can thank my mom and dad here this morning because they're here with us uh, from Michigan. And I give God thanks and praise for that that I was nurtured and supported in this journey of publicly declaring my faith in God and his son, Christ Jesus. And baptism is an event that many people hype up, and that is for a very, very good reason. It is an extremely important decision to make in one's life. If any of you haven't made that decision by publicly declaring your faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ, through the waters of baptism, I would highly, highly encourage you to do so. It would be my joy, honor, and privilege to talk with you through this process of deciding uh, to get baptized. And I remember the anticipation before uh, that day, before my baptism, pondering on what that special occasion would feel like. What would it feel like to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins? Arguably, no greater decision I'll make in my entire life. Would I get this warm, tingly feeling inside? Would I fall to my knees in admiration? Would I get the butterflies? Would I get the goosebumps? And the truth of the matter is that I didn't get any of that. Uh, I remember feeling a bit disappointed after the fact that I didn't feel the supernatural, awe-inspiring presence of an awe-inspiring God on the day of my baptism. In fact, I've been in church my whole life. I've uh, been baptized for over 15 years now. I went to the Bible college for three years and have been in full-time ministry for over five years I can only point to a few instances in my life where I got the goosebumps, the tinglies, the warm feeling from the undoubtedly supernatural presence of the almighty God. And I'm guessing this is a somewhat similar experience to many of you guys sitting here this morning as well, where you feel the undoubtedly supernatural presence of God few and far between. And my question this morning is, why, why is that the case? What is that all about? And what can we learn from this? And so today, we are exploring this phenomenon of an ever-presence uh, God feeling far away or silent from us from time to time. If you are feeling vulnerable and open and honest this morning, uh, raise your hand if you can relate to this, where, where times through your life, you just feel distant or you feel silence from God. I, I'm guessing, yeah, I'm guessing that's going to be just about every single one of us here this morning. When we read through the scriptures, we see some in pretty incredible stories of God interacting with mankind. Throughout the scriptures, God performs miracle after miracle after miracle. And some of them he performs through people. Other times he performs them on his own. Here are some of the uh, pretty incredible feats that God accomplishes that are recorded in the scriptures that miraculously preserve for us to read about today. 
To start it off, uh, we see that God miraculously created the heavens and the earth. He is the only being in the history of the world who is able to create something out of nothing. God created everything out of nothing. We see that God sent the 10 plagues to the Egyptians to free his people from uh, the hand of slavery. And and these are nothing short of miracles uh, where he is specifically able to send gnats or flies or frogs or turning the river into blood at at an exact time. We see shortly after that, we see uh, through Moses, God splits the Red Sea. So the Israelites are able to cross the Sea of Reeds and the Egyptians then are flooded over by uh, the Red Sea. We see that as they're wandering around in the wilderness, uh, God provides a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night uh, to know where they should be wandering around in the wilderness. I mean, how cool uh, would that be to see? Uh, God made uh, the sun and the moon stand still. God was able to split the Jordan River as they're entering the the promised land. God was able to raise uh, the widow's son to life in the story of Elijah. God was able to preserve the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. God uh, was able to feed thousands with just a bit of food a few times throughout Jesus' ministry. Uh, Countless people were healed throughout the ministry of Jesus and his apostles. And God raised his son, Jesus Christ, from the grave to everlasting life for goodness sakes. God is a God of miracles. And we see God at work over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. The Spirit of Life Church counted up how many miracles are listed in the scriptures. And they count up 164 miracles recorded in the scriptures. 164 times God interacts miraculously with mankind. And this doesn't include, uh, I was reading through uh, the number of miracles that they provide. Uh, They list each one out. And this doesn't include uh, time after time where God simply talks to someone or sends an angel to talk to someone. And so coming from someone who uh, many times doesn't feel that supernatural goosebump, warm, uh, tingly butterflies feeling from the presence of God and seeing this miracle after miracle and miracle and God audibly talking to these people time and time again or sending an angel to, to talk to someone, at times it could be discouraging. It can be discouraging reading these miracles after miracles and wonder why we may not see feats like this. I think we need to remember, we need to put these miracles into context. Uh, We can uh, read through uh, the scriptures. Uh, Pastor uh, Jeff Fletcher uh, said that he read through uh, the entire Bible from beginning to end in two weeks' time. So we we can read about these miracles in about two weeks' time if uh, we spend a considerable time at it. And what we may fail to understand as we're reading through uh, the scriptures, fail to put into context, is that these events are spread out over 2,000 years. Abraham is the first hero of our faith that we can have a good idea of when he lived. Uh, pretty much every scholar I've seen uh, believes Abraham lived around 2000 B.C. And so these recorded miracles, these 164 miracles recorded in the scriptures, they are spread out over 2,000 years, and they're also spread out throughout the land as well. And so with this being said, I think we can take comfort and encouragement from the fact that there were times when the heroes of our faith as well felt like God was far away or silent. In my personal uh, devotions this week, I just read uh, one such passage in Psalm 10. We don't know who wrote Psalm 10, uh, but the psalmist in Psalm 10 verse 1 writes, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble. 
We have no idea what uh, the psalmist was going through. The, the rest of the psalm is talking about these adversaries, these enemies, the, these wicked people who are prospering. So I, that can give us a, maybe a hint or a clue of what the psalmist is going through. Unfortunately, we don't have uh, any more details than that. But evidently, this psalmist felt like God was far away. This psalmist felt like God was hiding himself from whoever, uh, man or woman, who, who wrote this psalm. And David, one of uh, the great, greatest heroes of our faith, one of my favorite heroes of our faith, had a very similar feeling actually recorded in a psalm just uh, 12 psalms later. In Psalm 22, verse 1, this is David writing, and David says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? So evidently here we, we, we see David uh, greening, uh, grieving and moaning over a particular instance. And he is crying out to God saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Now, when we read about David throughout the scriptures, uh, the book of Acts depicts David as a man after God's own heart. David had so much success in his life and his ministry and his rule as king of Israel, all in the name of God. And he certainly had his downfalls as a leader and servant of God. However, one cannot deny that King David had a very close-knit relationship with God. And yet, with this close-knit relationship that King David of all people, he felt that God had forsaken him. The Hebrew word uh, forsaken can mean leave, give up, abandon, or forsaken. And so David felt like, David, this great man, that this great hero of faith, felt that God had left him, that God had given up on him, that God had abandoned him, or God had forsaken him. And we don't talk much about that. We don't talk much ab about this feeling of David in the midst of his success. David was not immune to the feeling of God uh, being silent and far away. And the crazy thing is, is that David, many of us uh, understand that David is not the only one to utter these words. These exact words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They're quoted at a later uh, date in history by none other than Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 27, uh, verse 46, depicting the crucifixion of Jesus hanging on the cross after being uh, tortured and suffering at the hands of these people. He's hanging on the cross and Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus himself I don't know what exactly going through of the mind of Jesus during uh, this intense moment in his life, moments before he suffered uh, at the hands of death. But evidently he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you could point to other scriptures as well, like Joseph and Elijah going through seasons of feeling like God is silent or God is far away. And so we can take comfort this morning in the fact that we are not alone when we feel like God is far away and silent. There's a comfort in knowing you aren't the only one in this struggle. I bet you everyone in this room experiences uh, this from time to time where they feel like God is far away or silent. So my next question, my next question uh, when considering this is why is this the case? 
Why is this uh, the case where there are seasons in our life where God feels far away or silent to us? Uh, Craig Rochelle uh, uh, studied this question. He provides uh, three reasons why you maybe don't feel God's presence. And you have that slide, uh, Ben. Uh, Craig Rochelle is that maybe you are over-sensationalizing God's presence. Maybe your heart is hardened. Or maybe God just wants to draw you closer. And so three reasons why you today, or, or maybe yesterday, or last year, or, or maybe the future yourself, and why maybe you feel like God is distant, why he is far away, or you feel like he is silent. These are three possible reasons to that answer of why. Why am I feeling like this? Now, when I look back on the day of my baptism, January 25th of 2009, I had these expectations of what it would feel like to be baptized. I had expectations of what it would feel like to be in God's presence. My baptism was very much a holy day, a day in which I publicly declared my faith in God and his son, Christ Jesus. And I'm positive that God was ever present and blessing this event. The scriptures uh, talk about a sinner repenting of their sins and the heavens rejoicing. The heavens rejoicing over this holy day of a young boy publicly declaring his faith in Christ Jesus. A day of rejoicing. And so come that day, maybe I was simply over sensationalizing God's presence. Maybe I had certain expectations of God's presence that aren't always true. And maybe this holds true for you as well uh, this morning. Maybe you expect God's presence to supernaturally overwhelm you and your senses every single time. And I don't think this is a very healthy expectation to have. God can 100% be present in the small moments as well. I'm reminded of Elijah who experienced a great earthquake. God wasn't in the earthquake. He experienced a great fire. God wasn't in the fire. He experienced a great wind. God wasn't in the, in the wind. Where was God? God was in the, the sound of the low whisper. God spoke to Elijah in that simple moment then and there, in the sound of a low whisper. And we need to learn as children of God, we need to learn to tune our eyes and ears to the presence of God in our life. And instead of only looking for God's presence in these grandiose moments where we have the goosebumps and the warm tinglys and the butterflies and we have no other response than simply to fall on our knees, certainly we're, we're, we're feeling God's presence in those moments. But on top of those moments in your everyday ordinary life, you need to tune your ears and you need to tune your eyes to the presence of God all around you. We need to be looking for God in our day-to-day life. And so maybe your expectations of God's presence, maybe they are false expectations. Maybe that's not the truth of what God's presence may feel or look like. Maybe we are over-sensationalizing this experience. We're focusing too much on our senses. Or maybe if you don't feel God's presence in your life, maybe it is because your heart is hardened. Our hearts are hardened by ongoing sin in our lives. There are portions of Christianity uh, today in our day and age, and I'm sure that's been happening for a long time, that try to normalize sin in the life of a Christian, trying to normalize sin in the life of a child of God. And this notion, this trend, it is not acceptable. It is not 
acceptable to believe that sin is a norm in the life of a child of God, in the life of a saint who has been set apart from the world. Sin should not, shall not be normal in the life of a Christian. I believe that God has given us every tool that we need as his children to, to, to overcome the, this enemy of sin. And are we going to slip up from time to time? Sure, maybe. Uh, but should this be the norm? Absolutely not. So let's get this notion that sinning is a normal uh, practice of Christian, and and let's totally get this notion out of our minds. John harps on this very uh, fact in in his uh, letter, 1 John chapter 3. We're not going to read it this morning uh, for the sake of time, but in this, in 1 John chapter 3, John clearly states that uh, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of, or from, or belongs to the devil, He says, if you have ongoing sin in your life, you belong to the devil, not to God, but to the enemy. And and John continues, and he says, no one, not not some or not uh, most uh, of these people, but no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. And so it's possible you don't feel God's presence in your life because your heart has been hardened by an ongoing sin in your life. And if this is the case, then this feeling, we're talking a lot about feelings this morning, and this feeling of God being afar away and silent in your life is likely an accurate feeling. We see this play uh, play out in Deuteronomy chapter 31. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Deuteronomy chapter 31. This is uh, near the very end of the ministry of Moses. As Moses freed the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians, and Moses led them around in the wilderness for 40 years, uh, dealing uh, with this whiny uh, people, a group of people who just kept on complaining and complaining. And at the end of this ministry of Moses, we see that Moses is getting ready to hand over leadership uh, to Joshua. Joshua is someone who closely followed Moses along. And as Moses is preparing himself to hand over leadership to Joshua, the the Lord speaks to Moses. And, And we see in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 16, it reads, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people, the Israelites, will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them and the land that they are entering, and they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. How demoralizing that must have been for Moses. After, uh, from the time where he freed the Israelites uh, from the hand of the Egyptians, his whole life was centered and focused on leading these Israelites to a relationship with God And God tells Moses at the end of his ministry, God tells Moses that you are about to lie down with your fathers. He's not talking about just sleeping for the night. He's talking about uh, death, as death is often uh, talked about, euphemism of sleep. He's going to lie down with his fathers. He's going to rest in peace with his fathers. And when this happens, God tells Moses that his people, his followers, are going to whore after the foreign gods among them and the land that they are entering, and they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. 
And so God reestablishes covenant with Moses and the Israelites, uh, essentially saying, if you're faithful to me, then I'll be faithful to you. And we see hence of the promise of the coming kingdom. At the end of Moses' ministry of his life of serving the Israelites, God tells him, Moses, you're about to die. And unfortunately, these people you've been leading for over 40 years, they're going to rebel against me. They're going to whore after the foreign gods. They're going to forsake me. And they're going to break the covenant that we established together. And so how does God respond to this? How does God respond to the Israelites forsaking and whoring after the foreign gods? We see in verse 17, God, God telling Moses again, then my anger, the anger of God, will be kindled against them in that day. And I, God speaking, will forsake them and hide my face from them and they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us. And I, God again speaking, will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done because they have turned to other gods. And so God tells Moses that that once these Israelites, your followers forsake me, God tells Moses very plainly, very uh, clearly, that I as well will, for, will forsake them. I will hide myself from the Israelites. And so it won't just feel like God is silent and hidden from them. That will be the cold, hard truth. God really will be hiding from them because of the hardness of their heart. Because they turned to sin, they turned to evil, they've forsaken God. And because of that, God tells Moses he as well will forsake them. And so it's possible that maybe you don't feel God's presence in your life because your heart has been hardened to him. Maybe through your ongoing sin, you've hardened your heart and you have forsaken the Lord. The good news for you this morning, if that is you, the good news is that God desires from you to repent and to seek after him. And if you do repent and seek after him, we're assured that he will be found by you. So it's not a fun place to be in, not feeling the presence of God, uh, feeling distant and, and silence from him because of the hardness of our heart. Not a fun place to be in, but there is hope if we dramatically repent of our sins and soften our hearts towards God. Because God doesn't will that any should perish, but he wills that all would repent from their sins. And so finally, maybe you don't feel God's presence because God simply wants to draw you closer. You know that feeling when you lose your keys or your wallet? Uh, I know that feeling on a pretty regular uh, basis. And let me tell you, it is not a good feeling. Can I get an amen? And all of a sudden, it seems like there are not many more important things in life than to find that hidden set of keys or wallet. And so all of a sudden, you start to make sacrifices in your life because there's few things that you want in your life than to find that set of keys or to find that hidden wallet. You sacrifice a few minutes or hours, however long it takes you to find those keys. You sacrifice that time of maybe watching your favorite TV show. You sacrifice that time of scrolling through your phone. You sacrifice that time of just hanging out with your family or friends to find what is hidden. And we all know the relief that we experience once we find what is hidden. And God may be using that same sensation with our relationship with him. 
God may feel far and far away and silent because he wants us to diligently seek after him. Uh, Paul, Paul talks about this. Paul uh, writes, uh, is speaking in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, uh, Paul is speaking uh, to the people in Greece. And Paul says, and he made from one man, that's God, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That, or so that, they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. And so uh, according to Paul, God has determined our periods and boundaries for our dwelling so that we would seek after him. And as we're seeking for him, we are to feel our way around for him and find him. If you lose uh, your keys or wallet, you might feel in and around the the couch cushions. You might move your hand under uh, the the couch itself and and try and feel for that keys or for that wallet. In a similar sense, we are to feel around and find God. Maybe you don't feel God's presence in your life simply because God wants you to seek after him and God wants you to continue to pursue him. The type of pursuit that is had when something is hidden. And so as it turns out in this feeling of God being far away and God being silent, it turns out there are possibly a few different reasons as to why we may be experiencing this feeling. Maybe we simply need to realign our expectations. Maybe we have over-centralized uh, the, the, uh, God's presence in our life. So maybe we need to realign our expectations. Maybe we need to repent of an ongoing sin and soften our heart towards God and repent of our sin. Or maybe we need to, to continue to diligently just keep on seeking and keep on feeling and keep on diligently seeking to find the Lord. And so I encourage you to think about your life and pursuit of God and find what holds true for you. Is it true that you need to realign your expectations? Is it true that you need to repent? Or is it true that you simply just need to keep on seeking? And our feelings and emotions are very much a gift from God. They should be used in our pursuit of God as Paul uh, talks about in Acts chapter 17. However, We have to stay away from solely relying on our feelings. Sometimes our feelings may lead us astray. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. Above all things in this world, your heart is the most deceitful. And so we should not always trust our feelings that we may be experiencing I like uh, the line of Craig. He says, if you trusted everything your feelings told you, you'd be in jail right now. Uh, that, that would be true. We can't trust our feelings. If we trust our feelings every time right now, uh, we, we, we'd be in jail right now and not sitting together in uh, God's house. And so God didn't just give us feelings and emotions. He, emotions. he also gave us minds of reason. We have so much evidence of God's presence in and around us. And we simply need to open our eyes and open our ears. We can put our faith in God from other areas of evidence than simply our feelings. 
It is a shallow faith that relies solely on our feelings. Our faith should be rooted in the feelings of God's presence alongside our knowledge and reason that we have today. And so just because God feels absent, just because God may feel distant, just because God may feel silent to you, that does not mean that is the truth. Our feelings, our heart is deceitful above all things. We need to simply activate our faith in God. So it's probably true for all of us that at times we are going to feel like God is far away and silent. Will you ever feel that supernatural presence of God that will drop you to your knees and give you the goosebumps and the whole shebang? The answer is sometimes. Sometimes you will experience that. For many of us, it may not come as often as we would like, but it will come if we diligently seek after him. I can assure you, he will show up time and time again if we seek after him. And for those other times where he doesn't necessarily show up in huge and unimaginable ways, don't be discouraged. It does not always mean something is wrong. It is simply a part of the process of pursuing and seeking after God. And so we need to learn to see God at work in our day-to-day lives. And if we are seeking after him with our whole heart, you can be assured he is right there, whether you feel it or not. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for your presence in and around our lives. Father, I pray that you tune our eyes and our ears and our heart and our mind to you and to your presence. Father, I pray that we can see you at work day in and day out in the everyday ordinary lives that we live. And Father, I just pray that you encourage us, that you strengthen our faith in those seasons where we may not feel your presence near and dear to us. So God, we just thank you for being a God who hears us, who listens to his children, and who loves us. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.